Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be back in the Lord's Prayer this morning. Matthew chapter 6. You know, when I, when I first moved back to College Station, uh, gosh, early, early 90s, I uh, decided I wanted to learn how to play golf. Like, I'd played golf a few times when I was a little kid, and I thought it was kind of fun, but I had friends who played golf, and so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to play golf, and this won't be too hard because I played sports growing up, and, you know, I, I can do kind of any sport, and I played baseball, and it's the same as baseball. And um, then I learned, well, it's not actually at all, right? And it's crazy. It's harder to hit a ball that's not moving than a ball that's moving. And, you know, so I, I, I began to play with my friends, and, um, and I actually got worse. Like, the, the more I tried and I put more effort into it, I got worse because I thought, well, what I need to do is just swing harder. And if you know anything about golf, swinging harder doesn't actually help you. It, 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 you know, for baseball players, too, it's just this, this banana. You hit the ball, and it's a banana every time. And so then you turn further this way to make and then but pretty soon the banana's even sharper. It's just horrible. It's just really frustrating. So uh, I bought books because that's kind of you know, how I'm oriented, right? So I bought books, and I read about golf, and, I, and then I tried to do that, and didn't really help much. And so then I, I watched videos and I tried to imitate what I saw in the videos and really that didn't help. So finally I broke down. I paid someone. So all right, you teach me how to learn how to do a golf swing. And, you know, first lesson I had with this pro, he said, you know, um, I can tell you played sports and stuff before. You know, you're reasonably athletic. I, I think in probably two to three years, you could have a decent golf swing. I'm like, two to three years? I'm thinking days or weeks, man. Come on. Let's, well, you know, I, I practiced and I worked about two to three years. I, I finally reached this point one day. I thought, you know, I, I think I know how to hit a golf swing. And I reached this, this level of um, acceptable mediocrity <laughs> as a golfer. And that's kind of where I stalled out because I just I stopped practicing. I, and I would tell you now, I love to play golf. I love it. It's very relaxing for me. But even as I say I love it, I guess I don't love it that much because I don't actually practice anymore. I don't, I don't play much at all. I play two charity tournaments a year, basically. And my golf game looks like a two-charity tournament-a-year golf game, right? I'll hit some shots like, wow, that was really awesome. And then just ugly, horrible things, you know, where I'm barely even hitting the ball. It's just, you know, because that's where I am because I stopped putting thought and effort into improving. Now, see the point of the analogy. What's true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. You can put a golf ball on the ground and put a little boy or girl in front of it and they can swing a club and oftentimes they'll hit the ball. You know, they can actually connect with the ball and uh, sometimes they'll miss, sometimes they'll hit, sometimes it'll look half decent and most of the time it'll look kind of ugly because they need to practice. They need to put some effort in if they're going to improve. It's true in golf. It's true in the spiritual realm, right? We said last week we're born into the family of God, but as we're born into the family of God, we're babes in Christ. We, We long to speak to the Father And we need to speak to the Father, but we don't have to speak to the Father. And so we stand up and we begin to hit slices, right? We hit these ugly shots, so to speak. But, you know, God loves it because we're beginning to make that effort and learn and grow. But for so many of us, we move forward in our spiritual lives through the years, but we don't keep putting effort into learning more and more and more how to deeply communicate with our Father. And so we stall out, in a sense, particularly in things like prayer, at this kind of acceptable level of mediocrity, rather than pressing on. So how do we grow in prayer? Well, two things fundamentally, and it's, it's, it's these, it's, it's instruction and imitation, right? We, 
We listen and we learn and then we practice. And so as we listen to Jesus and Paul and David as they instruct us in prayer and they model prayer for us, and then we go out and practice it, we grow in our capacity to communicate with the Father and we grow grow deeper in our appreciation of him and our love for him. But if we don't actually put it into practice, we, we won't grow in prayer. And so over the next few weeks, uh, if you come and you listen to the instructions of Jesus about prayer, but you don't actually do anything differently, you won't grow in prayer. You with me? So if you want to leave now, go ahead. Right now, I'm, I, that, I didn't plan that. Uh, don't leave. Don't leave, right? Just commit yourself to say, I'm going to listen to Jesus, and then I'm going to put some things into practice. I'm going to grow in this process, right? We started last week listening to some of the preliminary comments, in a sense, that Jesus makes about prayer. And I want to reread these, beginning in verse 5, chapter 6. Jesus says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, even before you ask him. So Jesus says, before we get into this model of prayer, let me address a couple of things. The first is this, your motive. When you pray, you're not praying for others. You're not trying to demonstrate to others how deeply spiritual you are by the quantity or the volume or the vocabulary you use in prayer. Prayer is communication between you and the Father. Not that there's anything wrong with public prayer, but the majority of your prayer, since it's communication with your Heavenly Father, needs to be between you and God. That's the motive. To to know God more deeply and to love Him more truly, to listen to His voice and respond. And then he deals with the theology. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles do because they have this concept of God that is completely other than what I am like. You don't need to badger me and berate me because I love you. I care for you. In fact, I see all things. And he makes this comment at the end of this little section. He says, now, remember, your Heavenly Father, he knows what you need even before you ask him. And every time I read that, I will say it's very comforting. Right? That he, he knows what you need. It's also a little bit uh, disconcerting because I say to myself, if he knows what I need, why ask? Right? I don't know if that theological quandary ever bothers you at all. But uh, as David says in Psalm 139, before there's a word on my tongue, O Lord, you, you know it. In Isaiah, he says the same thing. Before they speak, I've already responded. And so we say, so why exactly then? Do we bother with prayer? Now, I'm not going to give you the final answer. I just want to give you a few ideas before we get into the Lord's Prayer itself. The first is this. Uh, We pray because God promises to reward it. Look at verse 6 again. It says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. In fact, what's interesting, if you you just cruise through chapter 6 of Matthew, ten times in one chapter... Jesus talks about reward and treasure. So, you know, it's, this is human nature. It's not mercenary of us to want to get something out of this time we've invested, to get something out of this relationship. And God says, in fact, I will reward you. Well, how? In the context, uh, one of the rewards is answers to prayer, 
right? Answers to specific requests, frequently even physical things, needs. Sometimes that's a reward. There's the reward uh, when we're standing before the Lord and he says, well done. Well done, living in faith, praying by faith. Not seeing everything that's transpiring, not even seeing me, but trusting that I will in fact reward you. Well done. There's a reward in heaven someday, right? And there's this reward of a deeper intimacy with the Father. At least those are three of the rewards that God offers. We don't know exactly all that they are, but we know this. He's a good Father and he promises to reward. So take him by faith and pray. Second, prayer moves God. James chapter 5, James says this, The fervent prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. God moves in response to prayer. As one man said, prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. How does that happen? I, I, I give up. I don't know. I don't know the mechanics of, of how God moves and responds when you pray. I don't even understand. So he's sovereign, right? He knows absolutely everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He's uh, existing in eternity past and into eternity future. And he has all power and all authority to rule over all things. And yet... Somehow my prayer does something. It accomplishes something. How does that work? I don't know how it works. I just know God says that it does. He says, look, I am sovereign over all things. And what I've chosen to do is I'm going to govern my universe with you participating. I I choose and I get to choose because I'm sovereign, in fact, to govern my universe any way I choose to govern my universe. And the way that I choose to govern my universe is by including you, which gives meaning and significance to this concept of being made in the image of God. God involves us in in real and significant ways, right? This is true of prayer. It's true also of evangelism. Have you ever thought about just how strange it is that God tells us to share our faith? When he chooses, their election is is true. And it's God's spirit who actually changes and transforms the heart. And he says, "Yet, yet the way I've chosen to work is through your prayer and through you boldly sharing the faith. Samuel Chadwick made this observation. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. Why? Why does he tremble when we pray? Because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell cannot resist it. They cannot prevail against it. They can't stand because I have chosen to work through my church. When my church prays, when my church shares boldly the words of the gospel, when my church prays for the lost, I'm going to use that. I'm going to send angelic forces and the power of my spirit is going to be unleashed and hearts will be softened because that's how I choose to act. Now, sometimes I may give signs and visions, but primarily, you know how I'm going to cause my kingdom to advance? It's when church, when you pray and you share. How? I don't know. I don't know. The mechanics of it. I don't know how, what transpires in these moments when we pray. I just know that God says, this is how I choose to move forward. I choose to move forward with you. Could I do it on my own more efficiently? Absolutely. You're slowing me up. So get busy and pray and boldly speak the words of the gospel. So prayer moves God. And third, and maybe most importantly, prayer changes us. When you spend time with someone, that relationship changes you. It it reshapes you. It molds you. I am 
I've been molded by my parents, by their, their values and their attitudes and their habits. That, that has shaped me. I've been shaped by being married to my wife. My wife uh, has an incredible concern in, for the lost. I mean, those who don't know Jesus Christ, she walks into a room, and the very first thing that she thinks when she walks into the room is, do all of these people know Jesus? And, and they probably don't. So I, I have to go. I have to speak. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And being married 22 years and watching this for 22 years and realizing this is not a show. This is the passion of her heart. It's changed me. I look at a room differently. It wasn't natural at first. Now it is natural. I go into a room, I meet an individual, and I wonder first, do they know Jesus? Right? These things shape you. Now, if we're with Jesus and we're with the Father and we're, we're speaking to him and he's speaking back to us, it will transform us. And the more time, the more deeply and radically we will be shaped by the values of God. And so in a sense, really what the Lord's Prayer is about is not about learning a new magical incantation that we can repeat over and over and over again so we can manipulate God to do what we want. It is allowing God access to our heart because we have so much time with him so that he can shape what we value into the things that he values because what he values is eternal and lasts forever. All right, so let's look at the Lord's Prayer itself, which, again, I have no problem repeating the Lord's Prayer together, but just not mindlessly. I would say the Lord's Prayer is a template, it's a model to kind of teach us what is it that God holds as priorities as we approach him in prayer. So, let's read Matthew chapter 6. Let's start in verse 8. He says, So do not be like the Gentiles, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus says this. First things first. When you pray, honor the Father's position. Honor the Father's position. He is our Father. Our Father. This is how Jesus addressed God in prayer. It was always Father. Abba. Father. What's the significance of that? People around Jesus didn't pray to God like this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They didn't pray our Father, what's, the, what's the, the real significance or the meaning of the fact that God is Father? Well, I, you know, for some of us, it's a little bit challenging. I think uh, that uh, I would say it's one of the deepest problems in our culture today is we don't see lots of great models of fatherhood or we grew up maybe with an inadequate model of fatherhood. And so we see this concept and it's not really imbued with the richness that it should hold. And so what the Bible does for us is it, it again, reshapes our thinking. What's, what's a good father? I want to give you four qualities. The first is this, security. Right? A, a good father provides security, safety, stability, Maybe your father didn't, but God our Heavenly Father does. We are safe because he is strong. Now, a couple of years ago, I did a series on the fatherhood of God. I gave you this illustration, but uh, I want to give it to you again because it's really uh, powerful uh, re- remembrance in my own life. Uh, I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was probably third or fourth grade, 
growing up in New York, we lived in a, kind of a rural neighborhood. We had woods behind our house. And one day my dad and I were out clearing some brush uh, out of the woods. And this German shepherd wandered into our yard, right? Because there were, there were fields and woods kind of behind us. And this German shepherd just kind of meanders in. And I, I stepped toward it and I go, ah! And I yelled at it, tried to get it to go away. And it stopped and it turned and it came right back toward me. Right, and it, it was, I'm a third, third grade man, the dog was huge. And it, I, was, I was really, really scared because I'd been uh, bitten recently by a dog. I'd helped my sister out. She, was, she couldn't do her paper route, so I went through her papers and I threw a paper in her yard and there was a nice dog there and I reached in to pet him and he bit me. And so, you know, I was just in this already, I'm really freaked out by dog's mode and this German shepherd turns and he comes, starts to come at me. And then I heard my dad from behind me, crashing through the woods, arms flailing, yelling, and I was at peace. (laughs) You know, I know my dad. My dad will just shred that dog. My dad will. He will die trying, but he won't die. The dog will die. My dad will just, he'll just, because that's who my dad is, right? Remember when you were a kid, right? My daddy, my daddy, he's he's bigger than your daddy. My daddy's smarter. My my daddy will beat your daddy up, (laughs) right? I mean, that's, I was safe. Because I was with him. I wasn't safe on my own, but I was safe because I was with him. That's what a good father provides. Security. Second, provision. Provision. Providing for our needs. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Yes, you are. Will you get... All of those needs immediately or in exactly the form that you want? Probably not. But all of your needs will be met forever. Romans 8 verse 32. Paul expounds on this topic and he says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? For all of eternity, you will have no needs. You will have no unmet desires or longings. He will provide. Third, intimacy. Genuine intimacy. And again, I think in our world sometimes we don't equate that with fatherhood. Uh, Some of us had it and some of us didn't. You know, I I did. I remember, um, you know, my dad would get home. My sister and I would just, we'd just pounce on him pounce on my dad and we'd, we'd wrestle and we'd roll around and uh, drive my mom crazy because we'd get super loud and um, we'd often break things and, you know, but we would just go at it until my dad's glasses were bent all up and, you know, furniture's pushed to the side and uh, dad's sweating especially. <laughs> just, just, and finally mom would go, okay, <laughs> right? Enough. But she knew that was, that was how we connected when we were little kids. When I, my, I had kids, they were little, you know, that's, that's the first thing I wanted to do. I got home. Let's get on the floor. Let's roll around. Let's wrestle. You know, they're, they're uh, teenagers and they don't want to um, wrestle so much. And um, my daughter, that's not, she's not much into that and my son will hurt me. So, um, but they still need that from me and I still want to give that to them. So a good father provides security, provides for our needs, even some of our longings, our, our, uh, our intimacy that we have from him. Jesus goes on, he says that our Father also, he is in heaven. And we need to keep in mind, 
a relationship to him. He is our father and he provides intimacy, but he also is very different from us, which tells us, fourth characteristic, we, we have accountability to him. Our father is in heaven. He's, he is actually different from us in some respects, and that means that uh, we have accountability to him. I remember uh, if I got in trouble at school or I got in trouble with mom when dad wasn't home or I got in trouble in the neighborhood, that there would ultimately be an accounting to my dad. But I never thought he doesn't love me. I learned through the years, and I probably didn't grasp it at 13, but I did learn through the years that that accountability and that discipline was, discipline was in fact because he loved me. And if he didn't love me, he wouldn't hold me accountable. He really did want was what was best for me. But I think, again, sometimes in our own personal lives, we don't have that, that model, and so it's hard for us to really grasp that God can be and must be both intimate in his love for us and just and righteous and hold us accountable. Right? So Jesus starts here. He says, if you, if you want to really pray well and pray powerfully, you have to honor the Father's position, understand who he is, and in a sense who you are relative to him. Second, honor the Father's priorities. Read with me chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, uh, hallowed or hallowed, uh, I, I can't recall the last time I actually used that word in normal conversation. It's just, that's not a word that we bring up. It, it comes from the root word uh, holy, same word. It means set apart, it means distinct. It means God is other. God is completely different in some respects from us. In particular, Jesus says, let uh, his name be set apart. Right? Hallowed be your name. You know, the Jews would not actually say the name of God. They wouldn't say Yahweh, those, those four letters that formed uh, the idea that God said, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. They wouldn't say his name. Instead, what they would call him is Hashem. That is, they would call God the name. Hashem. Because the name was shorthand to represent all that God is. All, all of his personality characteristics, his attributes, all that he is doing, all that he has done. If I want to just talk about God, I don't say God, I don't say his name because it just seems disrespectful, irreverent. Instead, I say the name. I say the name. That is who God is. And what is the name of God? Well, um, what do you need? God has a name for that. You tracking with me? What do you, what do you need? What are the needs in your life? Well, God has a name for that. There's a name of God that applies to all of your needs. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, do you need to be healed? Well, he is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Uh, do you need provision, uh, earthly needs, or spiritual? He is Yahweh Yira, the God, or Jehovah Jireh, as we used to say, the God who provides. Do you need his presence in your life? Well, he is Yahweh Shammah the God who is there. Do you need his protection? Well, he is Yahweh Nisi. That is, the God is my banner. He is over me. He is protecting me. He is all that I need. In other words, Jesus is saying, prayer that is really powerful, that connects you intimately with God, is prayer that's consistent with who God actually is. Not who maybe you imagine him to be or just hope him to be, but as he actually is. So as you're praying, you've got the word open. 
And you're reading and learning and being instructed and then you're praying and you're praying and you're going back and learning more. And so you, you have the Bible in one hand and you're on your knees and praying and learning because you always want your, to, your prayer to be according to truth, according to God, as he actually and truly is. Which is true in all relationships, right? If I'm communicating with someone and I don't really know them, well, I'm not going to have intimate communication. Or if I'm making false assumptions about their personality or their desires or their actions currently or their past actions, right? There's not going to be an intimacy in communication. So I'm not praying or, or communicating to them as they actually are. You see, see the analogy there? Uh, let me give you an illustration. My wife uh, just had a birthday, January 8th. Every year it comes around. And uh, it's got an alarm on my calendar, so I don't, you know, I don't forget. I plan ahead. January 8th is her birthday. And so this year, I got her a life supply, lifetime supply of broccoli. No, if you know my wife, like, absolutely not. I mean, if it's green, mm, man, it's, you know, she'll suffer through it and make herself these green smoothies and stuff because she knows it's good for her. But green is not her favorite color on the plate, and broccoli in particular. In fact, she has made me read articles. I'm not kidding. She has made me read articles that demonstrate that there's a chemical in broccoli that some people react to and it makes you know broccoli taste like dirt or mud or soap or something, right? She says, see, this is why I don't like broccoli. So I, I didn't buy her broccoli. However, the other night, she's been sick for the last couple weeks. So um, Anna Joy and I were out driving around and said, well, what do you want to eat, honey? Uh, payway. Great. Well, she gets the kids way a portion of it's you know it's uh, honey seared chicken and noodles and she didn't want a big portion she just wants that little one so we went through payway and i got her payway and went into the room and she's watching tv and you know all covered up in blankets and i i gave her her payway and she's so excited because she just really hasn't had much of an appetite for two weeks and she opens it up and she goes ah there's broccoli i mean i just screamed she screamed I mean, I look at it and go, oh, there's, there's one piece of broccoli in there. Ah, you know, like, oh, I'm kind of panicked. And so I take it away from her. I go, hold on. And I ran away and I went to the kitchen and I picked out the broccoli and any of those other little pieces off the broccoli that I could find. And, and I brought it back. I said, can you eat it now? And she goes, okay. I'll eat it. <laughs> it's like, you know, broccoli came between us and um, there was not intimacy because that's not who she is. She is not a broccoli girl at all, right? So when I'm speaking to my heavenly father, do I really know who he is? Do I understand what he loves and values? Am I praying consistently with the way he is acting in the world and has acted in the world? Then I'm praying according to the truth. I'm praying according to his name. I'm hallowing his name. Second, Honor his will. Honor his will. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, honored, set apart, be your name. That is who you are and what you've done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom of God is probably the largest theological concept in the Bible. It's, it's, it's the broadest. It means that God, having created all things is the ruler over all things. Kingdom of God encompasses everything that God has made, everything that God can rule over. But what we know is this. The earth right now, he is not directly ruling over completely at this point. He has allowed uh, adversarial forces to work. And so his church, his people over whom he rules, we live in a battleground. 
He doesn't, he's not exercising absolute and complete control over the earth and over uh, governments and over individuals. And so we live in this tension. He's governing over us, but he's not governing over all of the world directly. And so Jesus says, if you want to pray really well, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's kingdom functioning in heaven? When there, no, no rebellion. Instead, uh, everybody, they're covering their eyes and they're covering their feet and they're saying, holy, 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 Lord, here am I, send me. Tell me what you, I mean, it's, it's complete and absolute submission to the will of God. And Jesus says, if you want to pray, pray that uh, heaven would come to earth. And we know that someday, in fact, it will. Jesus will return and he will restore all things. He will establish his authority over all of the earth. But right now, he says, church, I, I want you just to do this uh, person by person. If I can put it differently, the Lord's Prayer is a great commission prayer. Tracking with me? The Lord's Prayer is a great commission prayer. How has God in his sovereignty chosen to govern over the universe? He says, I'm going to put my people in a hostile environment, and I'm going to teach them to pray, to speak to me, and I want them to pray for one another that they boldly share their faith, and then I'm going to tell them to go out and boldly speak the words so that my kingdom can come. On earth as it is in heaven with your family and with your friends and with your neighbor. You want to pay, pray powerful prayer. You want to pray prayers that are according to the priority of God. You pray great commission prayers that there would be men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation that would begin to bend the knee in this lifetime and allow God's kingdom to come into their hearts. This is, this is how God has chosen to move forward, church. And he said, I'm not going to move apart from you. I'm just going to move with you. So church, rise up and pray. Pray for people to trust in Jesus Christ. Pray for them to make Jesus Christ the Lord of every single area of their lives so that they go out and they make disciples of all nations. This is great commission prayer. Now, that means it's also personal consecration prayer. right? I can be praying for the nations and my neighbors to trust in Christ and to, to bend the knee to him and to make him Lord over all of their lives. But it really needs to start right here with me. I need to be the one to say, no, I, I will bend my knee before Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not just on earth generally, but right here in this little spot of earth, which is my heart. God, be Lord of my heart. And I will tell you, this is a battle for me because every single day I wake up with my will completely intact. And needing to be dislodged. But what I like about this prayer is that Jesus doesn't call us to do something that he was unwilling to do. Think about the garden, Gethsemane. Jesus bent his knee before the Father and sweat is coming down like drops of blood. And he says, Father, I want to tell you what I long for. What I long for is not what you long for. I I long for the opposite, Father, of what you want. I don't want the cross. So I want you to get your will done, but I don't want you to get your will done this way. I want you to get your will done any other possible way. However, as long as I'm on my knees, let me declare, not my will, but yours be done. It has been said, that's the prayer that God always answers. Not not my will, but yours be done. And church, every single day, every single one of us wakes up with our will completely intact And we have to say, no, yours, yours. Now, all of this presumes one thing. And that is that God is, in fact, your father. But but maybe he's not. Maybe you came in this morning and you know 
of God or about God, but you don't, don't know God as Father. You know, it's interesting. Uh, whenever Jesus, personally, whenever he prayed to God, he always prayed to God as Father. Except for one time. Remember when he didn't pray to God as Father? Just once. Only one single time. Think about it. He's hanging on the cross. And he says, not my Father, but he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he was bearing the sins of the world, and so there was a separation. There was this horrific rupture in father-son relationship because he was clothed in sin, and the father was clothed in holiness. And so he says, my God, my God, not my father. We call him father when the debt of sin has been torn away from us by Jesus Christ. Then we reach out to the father and we say, Abba, Father, Daddy, We have intimacy with him because there is no barrier of sin between us. And maybe that debt of sin, that barrier of sin hasn't been removed for you yet today. This morning, you just need to cry out and say, God, be my father. God, thank you that you have removed my debt of sin in Jesus. And the moment that you do, he does. He becomes your father forever. And you have intimacy with him and you have safety and security with him. And you can never lose that relationship because he is strong and he listens and responds to the requests and the desires of your heart. And maybe that's the point that you need to begin this morning. Jesus says this, honor the father's priority. And what are his priorities? Pray to him as he actually is. Pray to him according to his will. And you know what his will, his desire, his longing is? That you know him more deeply. That you know him more deeply. Third, Honor the Father by asking. Chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know about you, that seems kind of um, abrupt. We've just been talking about tribes and tongues and people and nation and great commission and personal consecration. And Jesus says, and then the next thing you should pray is pray like this. uh, Give me bread. I need bread. (laughs) It's just so, so basic. It's so almost... Crass. It's so abrupt and change. But here's the point. God loves to give. We, we actually honor who God actually is when we ask for things from God. Now, I've been hammering on this point. I don't know if you picked up on it, but over the past year and a half, I've really been hammering on this. There's a distinction between the true God and the gods of the world. Okay? The gods of the world in human philosophy made us to serve them. Right? The true God made us to enjoy him. And so, he's a God who gives. What is it that sets God apart? Well, certainly his absolute moral purity, God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. But the second thing that sets God apart from all other concepts of God is that the creator of the universe gives himself to those whom he has made. Imagine the creator of the universe taking on human flesh, suffering, allowing his creatures to to beat him and put him to death. Giving his entire life on their behalf. Our God is a God who gives. Our God loves to give. And so it's not an affront to him when we say, Father, give us our daily bread. What did bread represent? What represented the most fundamental needs of their life? There's, there's no refrigeration. There are no preservatives. There are no Ziploc bags. Every day they had to, to bake or buy bread. And so Jesus is saying, call out and ask God for all that you need. And, and if you're asking him for bread, then certainly you can ask for anything else that you might need. And you say to yourself, well, God's not really concerned about all the little things in my life, right? 
because he's governing the universe. I, I, I ran across this quote a few years ago. I thought it was great. This woman said this to G. Campbell Morgan one time. She said, I don't bring the little things to God. I only bring the good things, uh, the big things to God. And he said this. He said, lady, anything you bring to God is little. <laughs> That's pretty good, huh? Your big things even aren't that big. Bring the little things. Because he's even watching over the lilies in the valley and the birds in the air. That's not, that's not taxing to him to pay attention even to the details of your life. Ask him for the things you need. Ask him for the things that you long for. First Peter chapter 5 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And all your anxiety, that includes the things that you need, but also the things that you just long for. Because really, our needs are pretty basic, right? Food, shelter, clothing. Those are, those are our needs. I'm, early in our marriage, one time I came home and I was looking through the kitchen. I said, Trish, there's nothing to eat in this house. And she opened the pantry and it was full. And I was like, okay, I get the point. I, there's more than I need, just nothing what I, that I want. And I I probably need to distinguish between the two. But God actually cares about both. God cares about both. So imagine this week that you you step out in faith and you begin to ask specifically for all these things that you need and these things that you long for. And they don't come immediately. Well, then what? We're going to talk about that in three weeks. All right. For now, I just want you to get asking. So uh, application point. This This should look kind of familiar. To you. This is the same application that I challenged you with uh, last week. Any, anybody try it? Anybody try it? Oh, okay, great. Okay. Like if zero hands, I'd be, oh, <laughs> I quit. <laughs> so two times this week, do it again, 30 minutes, set aside 30 minutes, find that quiet place where you won't be distracted. I want you to reread the Lord's Prayer again, looking for principles. We didn't get all the way through it. And then pray specifically and boldly. Write down what you pray. Now, let me give you add a few specifics to this. When you are uh, praying specifically and boldly, I want you to um, each day begin with consecrating yourself to the will of God. The first prayer of the day is, not my will, but yours be done. Wherever you call me to go, whoever you call me to talk to, whatever you tell me to do, uh, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So consecrate yourself and um, you know, let the Lord examine your heart. Is there anything that you're hesitating to give to him that, of course, he first gave to you, so it belongs to him and he rules over all, but what are you holding on to and clinging to, okay? So as you're praying specifically and boldly, pray, pray for that. And then as you're um, writing down things that you're praying for, I, I want to encourage you, make, make a list of the things that you need and make a list of the things that you want and long for that you want to bring, again, before the Lord. And as we're, we're closing this morning, um, I want to give you just a few moments to uh, begin that process. So let's, let's bow before the Lord and, and let's take that moment and say, you know, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And maybe God will search your heart in this moment and he'll say, ah, you know, I, I sense that you're clinging to this. And maybe this will be a moment where you release something fresh to the Lord. And pray that the Lord would give you uh, in boldness to to pursue him more deeply and know him more deeply, boldness to speak the words of the gospel. In other words, to participate with him in what he's doing in the world. And so let's just take a few moments quietly before the Lord, and then I will close us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that we have boldness and confidence 
to, to cry out to you any and every moment of the day because you love us, because you are a good father, a kind father, a truthful father, a father who always wants our best and is constantly working in our lives. I thank you that we have this confidence before you. I pray that you would stir up in our hearts a, a deeper longing to learn to pray, to speak to you and to listen to your voice. I pray, Father, that we would be people who are completely and utterly consecrated to your will, that we would learn to pray according to your priorities, that we would see the people around us who need your kingdom to come into their lives because their lives are broken and disorderly. And I pray, Father, that we would have courage to enter into that process with you. Thank you, Father, for giving us that honor and that privilege made in your image, working with you through our prayers and our words. Father, I pray that this, this study of, of this prayer that Jesus gave to us would, would reshape us and remold the things that we love. Father, I thank you for the powerful name of your son, Jesus, who gives us life and hope in all things. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week praying. Uh, we'll talk more about it next week.